episode number 12. Uh, as always, I just quickly want to take the opportunity to say thank you to everybody listening right now. I really appreciate it. So in this episode, I sat down and had a chat with Lisa Griffin, who is, of course, my mum. So my primary motivation for doing this episode was more so that I could sit down and have a chat with my mum about her life and record it and keep it so that I can listen back to it in the future. I think it's um, going to be a cool thing to have. So that was kind of the primary motivation for this episode. So we kind of discussed her journey through life. We are, amongst other things, we kind of touched on what it was like for her growing up in Wagga, uh, what it was like being a single parent, and then we kind of discussed a few things about me as well. I had a very interesting birth, to say the least, and yeah, there's kind of a few little stories in there about me as a kid. I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Mum, thanks for doing this. No worries, Ben. How's your Sunday morning been so far? Uh well, if you like breaking up dog fights in the backyard over fetching balls, it's been fantastic, Ben. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rusty was gone pretty nuts, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so we'll pretty much get straight into it then. So we're going to talk about you. So we'll start from the beginning. So where were you born? I was born in Calvary Hospital in Wagga Wagga on the 21st of August, 1964. Yeah, okay. It's very specific. Hmm. Um, then, So then did you grow up in Wagga? I did grow up in Wagga, yes. Yeah, okay. What school did you go to in Wagga, primary school? I went to Turvey Park Public School uh, and then I went on to Mount Austin High School. I must add, I was vice-captain of Turvey Park Public School. In primary school? Primary school, yeah, in primary school. Uh, and I was a prefect at Mount Austin High School. Yeah, there you go. Does that annoy you that I won up to you and I was... I was captain in primary school. <laughs> I actually hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Neither did yeah, I. Yeah, okay. Yep. No, I didn't succeed like you did. <laughs> um, how was it growing up in Wagga? It was really good growing up in Wagga, actually, um, especially if you like sport because there was plenty of sport to play. Um, we walked everywhere. It was very safe. You could walk anywhere as young kids too, walk to and from school, um, go to the pool. Yeah, it was nice growing up in Wagga. Yeah, okay. And then speaking of sports, so what sports did you play growing up? I played netball in the winter and I played softball in the summer. Um, I didn't start softball till year six, actually. I played netball more. I started it younger. Um, and in sixth class, I started playing softball, but I'd been practicing for oh, years in the backyard because I wanted to be a pitcher. And if one thing, if nothing else, I'm pretty determined. So I decided I wanted to pitch. And I'd been playing a little bit of softball, but I was always in the outfield and I didn't want to be out there. It was boring. So I drew a big square on the back brick wall, which had a laundry window in it, and I'd go out there every afternoon and I'd practice pitching and I'd practice hitting each corner of that square, which is like the batters, like your shoulders and your knees. It's the pitching range. Might I add, I broke that laundry window. It used to be a louvered window. I broke it that many times that Dad, who was a builder, put concrete mesh um, the steel stuff over the window so that when the ball hit it, it couldn't get through to the glass and smash the window anymore. He'd had, yeah, he got very sick of me breaking those windows. Um, so then when it came to year six to try it for the softball team, um, we went through trials and I got the pitching role and we went on to win. We won the Wagga comp that year. Interestingly enough, the girl who used to pitch for that team, her parents never spoke to my parents ever again because I pitched <laughs> that year. <laughs> Parents. That was my introduction to parents and sport. 
that's very interesting. Um, and then I was named in the All-Stars team, the um, primary school's Walker Softball All-Stars team that year as well. Yeah, okay. That is pretty funny about that. I was going to bring that up about the smashing the window thing. Because then that also makes me think about the time when I used to smash the window with the footy. I can remember being in the laundry at the laundry sink one time when that ball came through there and the shard of glass went past yeah. my face and embedded in the wall behind me. I'm probably lucky I'm here, Ben. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's pretty funny then. So I understand what your parents were going through. <laughs> I drove well, Dad insane. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely insane. But I was driven, absolutely driven to be the best pitcher I could possibly be. Yeah, and then you kept playing through high school, did you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that started my – I played right through high school and even after I finished high school, um, I started – I was picked in the Wagga uh, primary schools team uh, in sixth class. Uh, then through high school, I made multiple Riverina sides every year that I played. Played in the Mount Austin High School side, and I've got a story about that too, when we almost won the state premiership. Uh, and then my – I think my ultimate one was when I was picked in the New South Wales under-16 side. So going back to the Mount Austin High School story, um, we went to play for the New South Wales Championships. We got through to the final, which was very unusual back then, sounds like back in the old days, for a countryside to do well because these sports were always dominated by city teams, always because they had mm. a higher level of competition, etc. So Mount Austin, this Mount Austin High School team uh, made it through to the final. Barry Campy was our coach. I pitched the full nine innings. We were drawn at the end of the nine innings and he decided that he put another pitcher on. Not a bad tactic because the bats, the batters were used to my mm. pitching. He put me out into right field. The batter comes up. The pitcher pitches. The batter smashes the ball out my way in right field. My worst nightmare. So I'm going back, going back, going back. The ball clipped the top of my mitt and kept going to the fence. I can remember the park. I didn't want to turn around and come back because I knew that was a home run and we'd lost the game. I'm like, do I just keep running and jump over into those people's <laughs> backyard? Because this is not this is not good, not good. Not that anyone ever blamed. It wasn't my fault. It was just how the, the game went. But character building, to actually run, pick that ball up, turn back around and face all your teammates as you're watching that batter run across the home plate going, we've just lost the New South Wales state title by one run. And the winning run was hit over my head. Yeah, it's pretty funny how you never forget those things, eh? Like you can do all the good things you want and then there'll be like a handful of like little bad memories, I guess you call them like that, that you just never forget, hey? No, you never forget. And I think Barry Campy, the coach, he was never allowed to forget. I know he was questioned a lot was why did you take her off pitching? It wasn't so much that the home run went over my head, but yeah, they weren't slamming me like that and they put this other pitcher on, I suppose. He, he, take, he took a punt. Yeah, how is he to know? I'm Sometimes sure, it works. I'm sure he feels the same as you, though. I'm sure he's still. I'm <laughs> well, sure he never I'd love forget. to see him. If, I don't even know if he's still alive, but I'd love to see him and go, hey, Barry, remember that game? I'm sure he Because I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he remembers. It's etched in history now. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. And then in. So then in high school in general, how was going to school and how was going to high school in Wagga? Vastly different to what going to high school in Wagga is like now. Manniston High School had a very good reputation. It's very rough now. It draws from sort of the, the bit rougher suburbs without being politically incorrect. Uh, but back then, Manniston High School was a very strong sporting uh, school. So even though the, the kids came from Ashmont and that, it was Housing Commission generally that um, – came to that school, Housing Commission was different back then. They were all working class people. It was a very different demographic. There was no 
Centrelink handouts as such back then. These were all working people and good sports people. You know, there are a lot of good Aussie real, really good Aussie Reels team. We had a really good rugby league team. Our softballers were really good netball. It was really strong. And it loves to hold. It always laid claim to the Mortimer brothers went to Mount Austin High School. Jeff Lawson went to Mount Austin High School. Stephen Elkington, who you've probably never heard of, who was an international golfer, went to Mount Austin High School. Uh, Mark Taylor went there for the first two years. And I've got a story about running into Mark Taylor uh, years later where he remembered me and I didn't remember him. He wasn't quite as famous as he is now. Mm. But, um, yeah, he, he that was one of the characteristics of Mark Taylor, really good guy, remembered everybody. And you can tell he's just got those people skills. But, you know, Madison and I was a really strong sporting side. I actually, before I went there, mum wanted me to go to the Catholic high school, which was Mount Erin, because she'd gone to Mount Erin. Uh, Dad, he'd gone to Wagga High, but we weren't zoned to Wagga High, so there was no choice for me to go there. Um, but because of the softball, actually, uh, Mr. Ademski, another primary school teacher, it's funny how you remember the good teachers, mm. uh, actually talked them out of it and said, no, 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 you'd be better off to send her to a public school because if you wanted to play sport, the sport is stronger in the public schools. Because back then, the Catholic schools didn't play in the same comps as the public schools, yeah, so yeah. they had very small comps. Whereas Mount Austin High, as I said, had that really strong sporting sort of theme about it. So I went to Mount Austin High instead of Mount Erin. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, growing up here, so because you were pretty close, obviously you had your parents and you were pretty close with um, Nin, so your grandma, weren't you, growing up? Yeah. Reason being is I had very young parents. Being born in the 60s, mum was only 18 and dad was 20. So they were very young um, and they lived with Nin and Pop for like the first four to five years of my life. They couldn't afford a house. Dad was an apprentice builder and mum was a shop assistant. So we lived with Nin and Pop. So my very young years from naught to four to five, I spent most of my time with Nin because my, both my parents were obviously out working. My grandfather, Harry, was in the army at that point. So he'd go off to work out at Kapuka each day. He was a real rogue, Harry. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of my formative years with Nin and I picked up a lot of her habits. We used to watch Days of Our Lives. I used to like ironing and cleaning because that's what Nin back in that day did all the time. Um, I wouldn't go on escalators in shopping centres in the city because Nin wouldn't go on them. They'd have to find a lift for me. So I, I bonded a lot with Nin and developed her fear of storms, which I now love storms. We used to hide under the front bed, the bed in the front bedroom when there was a storm because Nin didn't like storms. So yeah, it wasn't until mum and dad, they actually built a house. First off, dad being a builder, he finished his apprenticeship. Uh, they built it in Coringal and was on the side of Willens Hill. And dad was very proud of that house. Nin, not so much. So when we went, I can remember that house. When we went to have a look at it, it was flat at, flat at the front, but out the back it was on a rise and it had elevated back veranda and they were never allowed to move into it because Nin was terrified I'd fall off the back veranda and kill myself. <laughs> so they had to sell it. So this brand new house that Dad had built. Oh, they sold, sold it? They sold it. Yeah. They weren't allowed to move into it. Huh. Nin would not allow them to move into it with me. So then they bought a house in Mount Austin with, might I add, a flat backyard. <laughs> yeah, but... And that's when we moved out. I would have been about five. Yeah, okay. So then you guys moved. So then you moved into that house when you were five. And you just, you know, is that how she grew up in? Yes. Yeah, we stayed there then. Well, yeah, it stayed the family house even after mum and dad's marriage broke up. Um, dad initially stayed in it. 
Uh, and then he bought a house in Mount Austin, funnily enough, again, or Tolland, and then mum moved back in. So, yeah, it was primarily the family house that we grew up in. Um, myself, and then nine when I was nine years old, along came Angela, my sister. It wasn't yeah. quite how I wanted it to work out. I actually begged and begged and pleaded with mum. I wanted an older brother because I had friends that had older brothers and I thought the idea of having an older brother would be far more fun than a younger sister. Oddly enough, they couldn't manage that for me. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult. <laughs> it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, and because obviously that's a pretty big gap, nine years between siblings. So what was what was kind of your relationship like with Angela growing up? Very different, very different. We weren't really close at all growing up. It was just up. such a big age gap. Yeah, she was more an annoyance. As I became a teenager, she was little and she wanted to be like any little sister, part of everything, and she was annoying. Uh, she was also a very difficult little child too so uh, she could throw a tantrum like no one else or actually maybe sam very similar tantrums there but um yeah we weren't really close at all and we've become much closer much later in life so there was a big gap yeah well it's kind of what happens it's just hard when there's that big of a gap like you're not gonna just completely different stages of life yep 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 so yeah closer now but life um as you get older um yeah changes you well, all those gaps start to disappear. Once you kind of yeah. get past your kind of mid-20s, it's like... Yeah, and you have more in common. Yeah, yeah. We have children now, yeah, you know. Yeah. She's working. You, you, yeah, you get more in common. It was, I think, more the fact we had very little in common initially because I was a teenager and she was an annoying toddler. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then after you finished school, so what did you do after school? Okay, I did my HSC with very, very little effort because I wasn't very good at studying. I was good at school. I just was not good at the studying bit and I like the social side of school. So I think just about every report I had could be anything she wanted to be if only she'd stop talking and do some work. <laughs> M many of my reports had that on it. Um, so, yeah, I did my HSC. I passed it. wasn't glowing marks. Didn't think about uni at that point. Some of my friends went to uni, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I'd been working at Woolies as a casual through year 10, 11 and 12 in the delicatessen at Woolworths Thursday nights. This was back when shops were only open limited times. So my Thursday night shifts were five to nine and my Saturday mornings were eight to 12. Shops shut at midday. And I can remember actually, I was still working there when they expanded that out and the shops were allowed to stay open till two in the afternoon on a Saturday. And that was a big thing that, that caused turmoil in rostering staff on. So I actually stayed working at Woolies once I finished year 12. Uh, they were really good to me. They would call me in for shifts, etc. So I sort of plodded along there for a while. And then I got a job as an office assistant at what was Lloyd's Homes originally. Now they built transportable homes. So they built them on site and they then put them out onto building blocks. They then became ACI homes later on. But yeah, I just worked in an office. I did data entry and it wasn't in computers back then computers would become yeah. very new things uh, data entry was on manual spreadsheets etc like nightmare absolute nightmare we used to reconcile the build of the houses and it was all done with calculators and manual sheets where you had to add up and account for every item in it um, it was good fun and I worked there yeah until I got married and moved to Victoria which is when I had you Ben so, so yeah that was 18 till Nine hours, it was about 18, 19 when I got job till 24. I actually, hang on, no, let me recount that a bit. I did leave ACI Homes. I got retrenched because they, yeah, they moved on. They disappeared. Then I worked for Coca-Cola. That's why I forgot that bit. I worked for Coca-Cola for about 18 months, two years before I went to Victoria. 
And again, in the office, um, again, reconciling deliveries, etc., taking orders. Back in that day, they would bring all the money back in from the Coke machines and we had a, a coin counter. So we counted the cash before I actually went to the bank. And again, it was all really manual. The orders came in, we'd take them over the phone for the shops and then we'd great, create these great big order list sheets and someone would go out the back into the warehouse and manually load the truck with all the orders. Take forever. Well, I guess you wouldn't think about it at the time, though, because this is what you have to do. Yeah, But very, now you look back at it and you're like, it takes so long. Very, very different times. Yeah, office work, when you say, you know, an office assistant, very different work from what it is now. Like, I, I can go all day now, do my job and not pick up a pen, not write anything. Yeah. Because it's all done on the computer. Yeah, yeah. But back then it was, everything was hand done. So, yeah, I forgot about the little two-year stint with Coke. Yeah, there you go. So then you moved to Victoria. We did. We did. Your, I met your father um, and we've been going out for a, a year or so. Um, he got a job with – he was a uni. He was an ag student. So I did get to gloriously go to one Aggies B&S ball, <laughs> which was – that was an eye-opener, I can tell you. I've never seen so many drunk people in my life. Uh, and ag students all had nicknames and that too. So it was just, it was really a different world. So he graduated from his Bachelor of Agriculture and he got a job in Horsham with Dalgetty's, uh, working in that ag field that he wanted to as a salesman. So he moved initially uh, and he'd come back on weekends, but we decided that since obviously he was working down there, we'd get married, moved down there. Um, so we did that. We got married in the... July um, 1988 and moved into Horsham. I actually worked in Dalgetty's initially while I was down there too. Again, at that front desk in the office just for a bit of, uh, for a second income basically for a while until I had you in the December. So you came along a little bit early. We had planned to get married anyway, but when I did get, when we did finally get married, I was actually pregnant with you about four months so, um, yeah, you'd come along a bit early. Yeah, there you go. And my birth was pretty interesting too, wasn't it? Your birth was a nightmare. Uh, being, again, young, I hadn't done it, well, youngish, 24, um, we discovered at the 11th hour, basically, when I was full term, pretty much nine months, that you were breech. You're always a very active baby. We used to, I could lay there and watch my stomach flip because you were constantly flipping. And the doctor knew that. But the last, my last checkup, I went when I was almost full term. He went, uh oh, that baby's breached, and I don't think he's going to be able to turn back now because you got to the point where you were too, too big far. to keep flipping like that. So I remember being sent off for an X ray because he said, well, you could have the birth normally or you could have a cesarean. They X rayed my hips and they felt that the hips were big enough for you to be born naturally. Um, and he was a young doctor too. I remember his name, Dr. Jared O'Brien. It's funny the people's names you remember that have key roles in your life, good yeah. or bad. Um, so we decided, no, we'll go ahead. But he wanted it in, in, in an induced labour so he could sort of control the labour. So, yeah, I went in to have an induced labour, which turned into an absolute debacle. And in hindsight, and there's many, many times you make decisions in life and you go, in hindsight, that was wrong. You should have been a cesarean because the labour was really slow to progress. Um, very young obstetrician, Dr. Jared, And uh, 
another funny moment in that was there was a young trainee doctor there. He was doing like his, his placement there. And because this was a breech labour and he'd never seen a breech birth, I remember this young doctor came in young boy and he said do you mind if I if I come in for the delivery he said I've never seen this and they've said it to be a really good experience for me I went <laughs> absolutely I don't care you know leave your dignity at the front door when you go to have a baby he needed therapy I think afterwards your delivery was so traumatic they had to rip you out with forceps because you got stuck your jaw got stuck on my hip bone and the cord got stuck underneath that so you did go through a bit of oxygen deprivation i can remember pre that at one point a doctor came in because it was all a blur because i i only had gas i didn't have any other painkillers they tried to give me pethidine and it made me so violently ill i didn't want any more of that so i only had the gas mask and at one point a doctor came in with a tape measure and i remember looking at your father saying they're measuring me from a coffin am i dying it was it was traumatic Anyway, that no, they weren't. They were going, okay, this has gone too far. We can't do a cesarean now because you've gone down too far uh, into the yeah into my hips. So anyway, anyway, they eventually pulled you out, and I can remember them coming in with white jackets on and white gum boots. And I'm thinking, am I in a dairy now or a slaughterhouse? Because um, it was very, very mucky, very mucky. So when you were born, they do an APCA test, and you were flatlined on all of them. You weren't breathing, so they had to resuscitate you. Uh, you resuscitated very quickly, um, but you're in a like a humidity crib thing for the first 48 hours of your life. But you did pick up. But as you would now know, in hindsight, there was a little bit of muscle damage due to that oxygen deprivation. But hey, that hasn't held you back. Yeah, there you go. It's pretty it's pretty interesting to hear that though. Like, I'm sure it would have been traumatic for those doctors and stuff. Oh, that young doctor, he came in the next day. He's still shaking, I think. He said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I had to sort of console him. I said, it's okay. And he said, I've never seen anything so horrendous. He said, I don't know how anybody survived that. And I went, well, I'm here. He's here. You were here. But you were a very upset baby for that first couple of months of your life. And I don't blame you, Ben. You were probably that traumatised by your birth as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and because you were breached, the funniest thing was, new mum, first baby, because breached babies fold their legs back up and the bum comes first, putting a nappy on you or wrapping you in a blanket was a nightmare because your legs by default just went back up every time. I'm like, how do I get these legs to stay down? So, but, but anyway, it, it adds to the story. It adds to the person. And actually, it took them quite a while. It was only when we were back in Wagga uh, to actually diagnose why your feet were so turned in initially. Uh, it was thanks to Ingrid, a good friend of ours that we met, who got me onto a neurologist who did some tests and went, yeah, it's actually very mild cerebral palsy very mild but yeah that's, there you go. that's and, and it starts apparently in your hips and your shoulders like you know some some cases of cerebral palsy are terrible and i think the really cruel thing about cerebral palsy is mostly the brain is intact it's the body yeah that suffers from the oxygen deprivation so inside some of those poor people with cerebral palsy their brain is probably ticking along just fine and they're highly intelligent they just can't speak and can't walk the body won't work for them yeah it's just that disconnect between the brain and the body yeah, yeah yeah so anyway so that's that's your little story you were very slow to crawl and so we started to get a bit well you really didn't crawl you sort of went from dragging yourself around to walking and apparently now they look back and they go that's one of the key um identifiers that something's not quite right because babies should go through that natural progression yeah, of yeah. they learn to sit they roll they crawl they walk never knew that all that is meant to happen for a particular reason and when it doesn't, it means it's probably possibly, not always, but possibly something not quite right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense that it would 
yeah, there's kind of that logical progression through those different stages. So then after that, so then you had Grace, obviously my sister, two years later. Two years later, yep. She was a completely different kettle of fish. There's a funny there's a funny story with everything. I'm full-term pregnant with her. We were renting a house in – we'd moved to Sale at this point. So you were born in Horsham. And, of course, I spent Christmas in hospital in Horsham with you. Uh, then we moved to Sale because your father got a sales job with Cooper's Animal Health. So we moved to Sale. Um and we were renting a little house in Sale and the house had an outside toilet across a courtyard. It was a very pretty little house. We had a kitten. Anyway, you one day, Ben, decided that you're outside. You're a very mischievous little child, might I add, very mischievous. You're outside one day being very quiet. It was a Sunday and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what are you doing? So I go outside. You've got all the toilet paper off the roll stuffed into the toilet. You've put the kitten in there and you're trying to flush the kitten and the toilet paper down the toilet. Being a very, very, very old house, you had clogged up all the pipes in underground. So the toilet had flooded. The kitten got out. The kitten never liked you again, but the kitten had got out, thank God. But you'd, you'd clogged the whole toilet up. So we rang a plumber. Plumber came and had a look at it and said, oh, we're going to have to dig all the pipes up tomorrow like on a Monday not on a Sunday and, and replace them so you're not going to be able to use the toilet I'm nine months pregnant that was the only toilet in the house yeah right I'm like what are we going to do anyway that night I think Grace must have gone we're not I'm not going to survive this because there was a shopping center across the road that I could duck over to during the day but that night um I went into labor with Grace yeah right magically so I never had to see the toilet get fixed. I had her very early the next morning. Went into labour with her about 2 and she was born by 4.30. Completely different. Yeah. Completely different story to you. So that's the funny story there. It was Grace, I think, went, oh, my God, no. Got to get out of here because there's no toilet in this house tonight. Yeah, there you go. That's very lucky. <laughs> very lucky. Then, um, then after that, then you had Sam, so my brother, two years after that. Yes. So was he, he was born in Wagga, wasn't he? No, 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 he... no. He was born in Sale. Yeah, okay. I don't know why I thought he was born in Wagga. Yeah, no. At that point in time, we'd bought a house um, in Sale uh, near the hospital. So, you know, Sam was, again, he was another interesting story. Yeah, he was born. Um, my waters broke early on with him um, and all of you went over. None of you were ever born early. You all went over. Uh, eventually that morning, I was making the bed, starting to get some cramps, went to the hospital. They didn't think I was in labour. They were going to send me home. And then bang, within an hour, Sam was born. So those two were really quick, unlike yours. There you go. We're just making up for it. Well, I think I, I think it also reflects the personalities a little bit. Sam and Grace, not they, they're not good at waiting. They're pretty impatient. Once they decide to do something, they're doing it. All right, so then not long after Sam was born, you ended up coming back to Wagga, didn't you? Yeah. When Sam was 10 months old, the marriage broke up um, and I – just decided that the best thing to do because you were four grace was two sam was 10 months old that the best thing to do was to come back to wog where i had family to help me um i was pretty certain that there was no the, the marriage was not going to get back together so yeah within a week of sort of splitting up dad came down uh and angela and we just packed up the furniture packed you guys up jumped in cars and moved back to Wagga. and i lived with nanny jan for about a week two weeks in Waltila Avenue because she was still back in the family home at that point. And then okay. I found somewhere to rent because it really wasn't working with Nanny Jan, me and three children in that house together. 
<laughs> in that and time too, it's actually interesting. At that time, Angela was pregnant with Bonnie, Angela, my sister. Um, and yeah, I was her support person. So I was actually, we were actually within a couple of weeks of coming back. Yeah, I remember going and being there with Angela having Bonnie. Yeah, okay. Well, that's pretty good then, isn't it? Because that period, because I imagine that period must have been pretty tough. All of a sudden you go from things being one way to then all of a sudden you're just a single parent like on the spot. Yeah, it was in, it was interesting. I had to find somewhere to live. Um, I think luck, life has a lot of luck about it too. Um, I looked at a lot of places. I could have gone housing commission, um, but I wanted to live in a nice suburb. So I found a little two-bedroom place in Estella for $150 a week which was a lot of money because I didn't have a job at that point. Um, so I moved into Estella and that's where we started that friendship up with the Blinkos and the Vagonas, mainly through preschool. You guys went to Rainbow Preschool in North Walker and the friendships with some of those parents, obviously I still have and you're still friends with a lot of those boys. That's where mm. we met the Sejuneries and the Blinkos and not the Vagonas until uh, school. But it's it's really interesting that we have all stayed friends. Some of the those families have moved out of Estella since. There's still yeah. some of us here. But it, it started that really nice um, group. We we're, were all like family. You all grew up together. You went to preschool together. You went to primary school together. And a lot of you went to high school together. Yeah, I guess that's kind of lucky, isn't it? That kind of must have happened straight away because I would have been – Yep. Because we would come here and I would have gone preschool straight away and then started meeting those people, hey? Yep. Yep, you were going to preschool in sale when all this happened. So one of my priorities, um, and I got some very good advice along the way too, which I'm forever thankful for. Before I left sale, a good friend of mine down there, Sonia, uh, she advised me to go and see this particular solicitor there. Uh, and he, he his advice stayed with me for a very, very long time. It was like, you need to be angry, you need to be sad, you need to work through all your emotions. He said, but you've got to work through them. Don't stay angry. Because if you stay angry, angry is it's a, a it will take over your life, and you'll be angry and bitter for the rest of your life, and then your ex husband wins. He said you need to control your emotions, work through them, and he actually his advice was each night, sit down, get yourself an exercise book, and write. He said write whatever you're thinking, write whatever you're feeling, but just get it out of your system so the next day you can start fresh and just take it one day at a time. And his advice was, I think his advice is useful for anyone anyone you can't bottle that stuff up you've got to get it out and writing it down in a book and closing that book at the end of each day uh allows you to get up fresh the next morning because you've got it out of your system and i truly believe anger is such a wasted emotion it can consume you so be angry but move on and i had you guys so to be fair to you, you really guys choice, yeah. my aim was well, my aim was these guys are never going to be affected by growing up in a single parent family and they're going to have every opportunity that I'd had growing up in a you know two parent family because why shouldn't you guys and I also had that the um, idea that I would never block you guys from having a relationship with the Griffin side of the family either you know I, yeah, I so, thought it was so, so, dad's side of the family, yeah. so important and we used to go and visit remember old Ive and Joe yeah and that was the other side of the family but it's so important for people to have family uh, and that support network. So I was lucky. I came back to family, both sides. I had to work through some issues with the other side of the family initially because they there's a lot of blame happening about who did what and why the marriage broke up. But, you know, eventually the truth comes out. It sorts itself out. Um, but then I also developed this fantastic network of friends, which became like a second family as well. Yeah. And all because I picked a house in Estella. 
maybe in another suburb the same thing would have happened, but, you know, it, it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah. It kind of, it's kind of fortuitous the way that sort of stuff happens, isn't it? Yep. Sometimes. Yeah, you look back and you think, well, those cards just all happened to fall in just the right way at just the right time. I'm not by any means discounting it wasn't difficult. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's hard work rearing three children by yourself. I can imagine. Um, but it is possible. You've just got to have priorities. Yeah. Um, and then, Sam, what was I like as a kid? You're naughty. Oh, really? <laughs> You're no. really naughty. Um, you spoke so well. You spoke fluently at two, Ben. You would put to people would say, look at how well he speaks. You would speak. But you always spoke about you in, I am going to the shops. Ben is going to the shops. Ben will do this. Ben will do that. You always spoke about yourself in the third person. You know, I will walk today. And you put sentences together at two. Like, you know, then we had Sam who didn't speak till he was, God, three and a half. He could say one word. But you spoke for him. But we read a lot. We read a lot together. So I read lots of books with you. But you were cheeky. You were really, really cheeky. I remember one of my first experiences with you back here, we went down the street and they had bars around the planters there and you thought it'd be a really good idea to stick your head between two of the bars problem was you've got ears so the ears go in nice and easy but when you try to pull your head back out the ears get stuck on the bars so we had to get help to come and get your head out of the planter in the main street of Wagga so you did things like you put a cigarette lighter on your sister's leg when she was little you thought oh what does this do you pushed it in you saw it was red you went is this hot? Bang onto your sister's leg. No, it wasn't her leg. It was her finger. Her finger. I told her to touch it. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, you did things like that. You would send someone else in. I remember we were at a Christmas party at the lake and they had a jet ski and you really wanted to go on it, but you weren't going to go on until someone else did. So your sister went first. When she came back okay, you went, yeah, I'll go on that now. Thanks. So you're always sending your test pilot in first. So... Now, you, you were quite a cheeky little kid. Yeah, right. which is funny because then I was like obviously really quiet kind of when I went to school and stuff. You didn't like a fuss being made? No, you didn't like to be the centre of attention. But yeah, as a little boy, you were quite cheeky. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So then obviously, um, then obviously we all grew up in Wagga mm-hmm. and then kind of – so you just kind of did what you could work-wise through while we were growing up? Yeah, okay. What I did was um, I when I met the Vagonas who had many, many, many children, I did babysitting. So I babysat for actually quite a few people along the way, which was really helpful. Um, remember Matthew Guthrie? I used to look after him before and after school. I looked yeah. after the Vagona children. I cleaned too, actually. I cleaned people's houses there for a while. I was happy to do anything I could that fitted in with you guys. So while you guys were at school or um, Grace and Sam were little enough to come with me, they could come with me while I cleaned houses. They could also be there while I was babysitting kids. So I did odd jobs like that along the way. I then also volunteered and ran the North Wagga Canteen there for a while. Well, I actually didn't volunteer. Jim Vagona went to a PNC meeting and when they said we don't have anyone to run the canteen, he said, I know a lady that can do that job. So I got volunteered to do it. And I really enjoyed that. That allowed me, it was volunteer, but that allowed me to be at school while you guys were at school. Um, And it also 
gave me skills, which was really interesting. Don't ever discount doing volunteer work. It actually helped when I actually went to get back into the proper workforce and go for a job because I'd been doing that. I can remember in my interview at CSU, they said, oh, so you run the canteen at North Wagga, is that a paid job? No. What does that involve? So when I said rostering on people, not as simple as that sounds because not all mothers got along, uh, doing the orders, you know, balancing the cash, all that sort of stuff, it really helped that I'd been doing that. So it wasn't like I'd been out of the workforce completely. I'd actually been ticking along working there as well. So, And I met a lot of great people through there too, through the school. It was a lovely school, North Wagga. Um, it was really happy times there when you guys were there. Yeah, well, it's all just general skills that carry across to like, who knows what else. Yeah, and I think area. people don't. Yeah, they don't think of those things. Like just because it's volunteer or not paid work or it's stuff you do in your day to day stuff, doesn't mean that that doesn't count towards skills that you can use in the workplace. Yeah, and same with like going to uni. People kind of only think about the hard skills towards their specific job. We're also learning to read and write and articulate articulate yourself, which carries across. Anything you do? Look, one of the best skills you can ever have is an ability to manage people. Oh, yeah. It's one of the toughest gigs you'll ever get and it's something no university degree will teach you. People don't come out of that textbook. People come in all different shapes, sizes, forms, personalities. Um, and that is something – some people can do it and some people can't. I've worked with people that have great people management skills and I've worked with some that just have not got a clue how to relate to people. Yeah, it's – yeah, there's no yeah, there's nothing that there's no textbook that can teach you how to do that stuff. No. You know, it's just to fumble you fumble and bumble your way through it and figure it out. I think it's personality too. Oh, it's definitely. not everybody can do it. It's not it's not a skill everybody can learn. You can learn it, but not everybody can. Yeah, definitely. So then you kind of just did that sort of stuff for a while and then after that you started uni? Yeah, I'd always had a love of books. Probably instilled in by me by Nanny Jan. She loved books. We read a lot. I read a lot to you guys. I love books and I, I'd looked at different jobs around supermarkets and all that sort of stuff and I just thought, oh, I'd like something a bit more interesting. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll start a – actually, I'll start a degree, but I didn't know what to do. So I rang the library up at the uni and I said, look, I'm looking at – you know, I'd really like to work in a library. What should I do? And they recommended starting the Bachelor of uh, Library and Information Science. So I started that and within a couple of months of starting that – and it was DE, so I didn't have to attend lectures – a couple of months of starting that, a job came up at the uni library shelving books. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll apply for that. See if I can go and shelve books. Um, and look, interviews are another thing. You just don't get enough practice at interviews. And I can remember I went up there. There were all these young people, not that I was old, but people a lot younger than me uh, going for this job, obviously, in the interviews. And I remember when I went in and they, they quizzed me about, okay, shelving books, what's the Dewey Decimal System? And I remember walking out of there thinking, did I just give them the dumbest answer ever? Because I said, it's the numbers on the end of the book that tell you where to put them on the shelf. And I thought, that's not a university level answer. That's just really basic. Anyway, I thought, no, nah, there's no way. No way I'm going to get that job. I did get that job 17 hours a week. And I remember laughing with um, the, one of the bosses who was on that interview panel, who turned out to be a very good friend and a really good mentor for me while I was working up there as well. I remember laughing, saying, that must have been the stupidest answer you heard all day. She said, it was the most intelligent answer. It was simple and it's exactly what it is. It's the numbers on the yeah. end of the book that tell you where to put it on the shelf. And I went, oh, okay, righto. Um, so, yeah, that started my, yeah, working career. It was 1999. I started up there 
just after Easter and I'm still working at the university at the moment, 21 years later. So, yeah, that started my career up there. Yeah, which is pretty crazy that then you've just been there that whole time. Not in the same job, but I have moved around a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I moved from shelving to a library assistant to an information librarian to a team leader of information librarians. Then I moved to the contact centre, Student Central, where they answer the current student inquiries. Um, I've always had training in my roles, but so that was a training and liaison role. Um, and now I'm, well, I'm an assistant manager in student administration, but I'm also a product owner on a project, which that could be a whole different podcast again, Ben. Project world in big organisations is just another level of learning, I can tell you. Yeah, I can only imagine how, yeah, how crazy that would be, all the different parts of things and, yeah, I don't even, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start. That's another story. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. So then, so yeah, so you need to continue to work at the uni now, Um, still living in Wagga. Yes, have bought a house. Oh, yeah. Don't live in it. Uh, Prefer to rent where I am now because it's, I'm comfortable here and I like it. But yes, that was a, that's a major milestone too when you're a single parent and you've only got the one income, etc. to be able to buy a house. That's so just a little yeah, house definitely. in Mount Austin. Uh, it's tenanted and it pays for itself. Yeah, which makes it easy, doesn't it? Yeah, it so does. Don't have to worry it about does. it too much. Yeah, which is good. All right, so that's most of what we kind of wanted to go through today with the exception of a few little things I had written down here that we missed. So you actually missed Wagga at one point. Yes, I was. I was Miss Wagga in 1985. the same as Miss Universe, but like for Wagga. Oh, but thank God, Ben, we didn't have to wear bikinis. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would not have been in it. No, it, it wasn't. Yeah, not a beauty pageant. Yeah, no, I was only joking. It's a fundraising one so and a personality thing. So, yeah, it was, um, it was amazing, 12 months. Uh, luckily, I had a public speaking background as well. So I used to go into Stedford's way back when. Um, and I got a trip to Japan for three weeks representing Wagga with the Community Princess. So it was a it was a fantastic year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Sounds like it would have been an awesome experience. It also helped too, you know, just that experience with public speaking and that later on getting jobs, meeting people. It just, all that helps. It adds up. Yeah, well, it's just confidence building and that sort of stuff. Generally builds, yeah, self-esteem, self-confidence, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Then the last thing was the Roosters. So obviously you're a big rugby league fan. And kind of how did you end up going for the Roosters? Because obviously your dad, so my grandpa, was a big, uh, sorry, Parramatta fan and he hated the fact that you went for the Roosters. So how did that even happen? And mum only liked AFL. She was a Hawthorne, Dermot Burden fan. So I don't, I, I really don't know. I do know that we used to watch the, in our, the wasn't NRL back then, the Rugby League on a Sunday night on ABC uh, it was five o'clock, I think. It came on before countdown. Uh, it was only an hour, so you only got an hour of the game. You didn't get the 80 minutes of the game back then. It was the only time a game was televised. And somehow on those Sunday nights, I think I started watching it, waiting for countdown to come on. And I had a thing about Arthur Beats, and Arthur Beats sticks in my mind about I really liked him. I liked him as a player. I, I just liked everything about him. And I think I like red, white, and blue. I like the colours. I seem to radiate to those colours. I don't know whether it's they, that came first, the love of red, white and blue, or my red, white and blue love has come after liking the Roosters. But from as far back as I can remember, I have loved the Roosters. And anybody that knows me, is friends with me on social media, knows that <laughs> it's almost fanatical. 
Yeah, and then you just obviously brainwashed me as a kid. All these photos of me as like a baby in like roosters jerseys and stuff. Didn't succeed with Grace. She went for Tigers, but I think that's because she met Benji Marshall and was quite annoyed with, you know, enamoured with him through touch football. But yeah, no, yep, you've come along on the journey. I succeeded. Yeah. Failed dismally with Sam. He doesn't follow anybody. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you got one from three. Yes. Um, yeah, cool. So that'll do us then. So thanks for doing this. Um, that was good. My pleasure. And you're right, Ben, once you start talking, I can keep <laughs> talking for hours. Yeah, it's the same with everyone. People are always like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say enough. And then people always surprise themselves once they start talking. Yes, it's amazing how much you know about yourself. Yeah, when you think about it. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, thank you anyway. My pleasure.